This is the word of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. All right. What's up, everybody? So my name is Mark Essick. I'm a campus pastor at the Allen Park campus. What's up online? Everybody in person. So last week we kicked off this series, God's Ideals, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 5 through 7. The Apostle Paul is giving us God's ideals on sex, marriage, divorce, and singleness. Obviously, this is a sensitive topic. So if you have younger elementary children, just encourage you up front. You might want to take them right now to let them enjoy our amazing kids' ministry. Um, and if this is your first time, super glad that you came uh, today. Uh, we're going to talk about sex. Man, I'm just putting it out there right now. We're talking about sex, dude. I'm excited, not going to lie. Uh, grew up doing student ministry a lot. And if we ever thought, hey, what should we talk about this week? Guess what we'd think about? Let's talk about sex. You always talk about sex with the young people. And if you're on Netflix or if you like any musical artist whatsoever, if you ever check out any top 10 music chart, you know what's on there? Sex everywhere, right? God talks about sex. We don't talk about it all the time, but God talks about it. He created it, so we shouldn't avoid it. We got to talk about it. So we're talking about it today. And here's the deal. If you're not a Christian, if you don't like, consider yourself a Christ follower or a Christian, glad that you are here or watching online. You're off the hook. Um, this teaching is for everyone. However, obedience is really only expected from those that uh, call Christ as their Lord and Savior, their leader, and have the indwelling Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to change and transform you. But I would encourage you, though, if you're a non-believer or a non-Christian, try these principles out. Try some of them. Like, seriously, try some of them. Try to apply some of them in your life. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Matter of fact, read 1 Corinthians for yourself. Read the rest of the New Testament. Here's the deal, like we're not here to change you, to fix you, to uh, take you away from something. That's not what our goal is. Our goal is to teach everyone what the Word of God says, what God says so you can know Him and you can come to know Jesus Christ. He's the one who's changed our lives and He can change anyone's life and transform you. He's the one that we trust. So we want you to know Jesus more than anything else. So here's the deal. We're talking about this, you know, 2,000 years ago, this culture in Corinth. Corinth is a Greek city where this church is in that Paul's writing a letter to. 
And their culture is very much like our culture today. You know, sometimes we think about these prudish or old-fashioned morality. Some people talk about, talk about these kind of rules or these moral laws like this, and they say that it's you know, repressive or intolerant or old-fashioned, old-school, not really good for us anymore. Well, when Paul is teaching this, when God was presenting this in, to Corinth, the Corinthian Christians, brand new. Sexual immorality and promiscuity has been around since the dawn of time, but these morals, this God's law on sex, marriage, divorce, and singleness, brand new, not just for the Corinthian Christians, but for the world. Like, this is new stuff. Again, their culture is very much like ours. Imagine like a cosmopolitan city like, like New York or L.A. If you grew up in Corinth, you can imagine someone growing up like at this church in this city, very much the, the motto of the culture around them could have been like Nike, just do it or like the India Ari song a few years ago, or those Diet Coke commercials that I've been seeing recently, Just Do You. It's very much the culture, very permissive, passive. Um, there was a celebration of their freedoms in this city, very much like large cities, and, not, and, and a celebration of their freedoms, especially sexually. So they would have grown up in a very permissive culture, progressive, um, celebrate tolerance for everything, do whatever you want to do. That's the culture. Matter of fact, a Gallup poll, right, a research poll just came out a few weeks ago. Um, here in America, it's beginning to see that more and more Americans are embracing what used to be seen as immoral behavior. We're accepting them as now as okay moral behavior. 73%, according to the poll, 73% said that sex between a man and a woman before marriage is morally acceptable. It's the highest it's ever been in our country. Uh, 60, no, 71%. 61%, was it 61%? Sorry, I want to get the number right. 70, 63% said that gay relationships were morally acceptable. 61% say, well, talk about pornography. Pornography, still 61% say it's wrong. You know that means 39% are totally cool with it. And there is a epidemic of addiction in pornography in our country, in our world, even in the church. The one morally, the one sexual behavior that's still considered immoral by most is adultery. 89% said it's wrong. So again, our culture is becoming to embrace things that once were not embraced. The culture in which the Corinthians grew up embraced it. Last week, this whole section got kicked off. Why? Because there was a guy having a sexual, ongoing sexual relationship with his father's wife. And the church was tolerating it. Not just tolerating it, but they were celebrating themselves for tolerating it. And the Apostle Paul said, no, 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 no. The church cannot allow unrepentant habitual sin to go on without church discipline. If you want to watch that message, you can check it out on our website or you can listen to the podcast. The Apostle Paul said, you, we should not judge sinners outside the church. The world's going to do what the world's going to do. We should not judge sinners outside the church. But yes, Christians should judge sin correctly within the church. If you profess to follow Jesus Christ, then we should follow Jesus Christ. That's what he told the church. And he's telling these Corinthian Christians about these things that they're struggling with. Because here's the deal. It doesn't matter what the polls say, what the laws say. Who decides what's right and wrong when it comes to sex, marriage, divorce, and singleness? If it's 87% acceptable to culture, does that decide what's right or wrong? If the law states that it's legal, does that make it right or wrong? Who decides? They were struggling with it, and we struggle with it today. 
And Paul is helping them. And he's finishing that thought today in this section. He finishes that thought by saying, if you continue, if you're a Christian and you continue, or if you're a non-Christian and you continue a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, this is the eternal, this is the ultimate destination or uh, what would ultimately happen. Uh, Verse 9 and 10, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He got them all. I mean, think about this. This was the, the culture, the Christians in this church in Corinth, dude, they just got hit hard. Because they grew up, all of them were cheaters and, not all of them, but most of them, all of them probably had done all of these. All of them have done some of them. Cheaters, swindlers, uh, slanderers. I can have sex with whoever I want to have sex with whenever I want to have sex because that's the culture they grew up in. Permissive. And Paul is saying this is the ultimate outcome for those who live in that lifestyle, unrepentant for their life. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, we, we don't judge sin inside the church to condemn, but because we love you. We love So that you can, out of love, we want you to repent and come to your senses so you can come back to Jesus Christ. And Paul's not talking about a one-time sin. I I messed up or like I gave into my temptations a few times. This is, I refuse to bow down to Jesus. I'm going to continue to cheat. I'm going to continue to lie, swindle. I'm going to continue to have sex with whoever I want to have sex, whenever I want to have sex. I'm going to continue to do my things my way. I will not bow down to Jesus and do what he asked me to do. That's what this is. And I want to really highlight a word that Paul uses in verse 11. It's one of the greatest words, man. It's awesome. It says, that's what you were. That's what you were. He's talking to us too. That's what you were, Mark. That's what you were. You were a cheat. You were a swindler. You were a slave to your temptation. You were a slave to the culture. You were just doing you. You were a slave to your desires. You were. But you met Jesus. You, can, you repented of your sin, you, you, sins, you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were baptized as you were washed, right? You were baptized, your sins are removed from you, so you were a slave to your sin, but now you are a child of God. Now you are forgiven. He says, now you are sanctified, which means you were set apart. You're part of this new nation, this new kingdom, God's kingdom, this new family. He says, you are now, you are justified which means your sins, all the guilt and punishment that you deserved and owed was removed from you. So now you're, you get a clean slate. All of this because of Jesus Christ. You were a slave to your sin, but now you are a child of God in this new kingdom. Understand this, and it's, it's kind of a, it's an illustration, right? If, if you grew up in a different country and you want to be a citizen of the U.S., there's a process for that, right? And when you become a citizen of a new nation, you actually have a new identity. You, you agree to follow a new code of living, uh, a set of laws, and the leaders in that nation. So when you become a new citizen, a citizen of this new nation, you are pledging your allegiance to the laws and to the authorities in that new nation, and the Corinthian Christians understood, they knew it like head knowledge, that they were now members of a new nation, God's nation. But they were still living like the old. This is really important for all Christians to understand this. Because oftentimes, like, people get this confused. Everybody thinks, or people often think that to become a Christian, it's all about getting something. I want to be a Christian because I want to get forgiveness of my sins. I want to get salvation. I want to get eternal life. I want to get this new family. I want to get grace. I want to get, get, get. It's about getting things. That's not true. Becoming a Christian is actually more about giving up 
than it is getting, receiving. You see, when I become a Christian, I actually give up my right to make the rules. When I become a Christian, I actually give up the way of thinking and living that I've always done. When I become a Christian, I give up my identity as the center of the universe, and I get to choose who I am and who I want to be. I give over authority to be the God of my own life to the real God. Yes, when I place my faith in Christ or when anyone places their faith in Christ, you receive you know, the gifts, forgiveness of your sins when you're baptized, gift of the Holy Spirit, eternal life. Yes, you receive those things, but it starts with giving up. And oftentimes people miss that. That's why I don't get to claim the benefits of Christ without taking on the allegiance to him. And so they were, these Corinthian Christians were struggling. They were struggling because they grew up in this culture that they'd always been permissive and they do whatever they want to do. And they understood head knowledge that I'm a part of a new nation, but they were still struggling with being like the old. Do you ever struggle with that? Like, I get it, I'm a Christian now, but I still struggle doing the old things. Well, you're always going to struggle with those old habits because, you know, you lived like that for 10, 15, 18, 40, 50, 60 years. And now you you're, have a new identity, but you still have this, you're still accustomed to live the way you used to. But we shouldn't embrace that. That's no longer my identity. I should stay close to Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to transform me. Otherwise, I'm going to begin to justify things, which is exactly what the Corinthian Christians were doing. And Paul points out in verse 12, they said, I have the right to do anything you say. And Paul contends, not everything is beneficial. They say, I have the right to do anything. And he again corrects them and says, but I will not be mastered by anything. You know what they're saying, right? Like, God, I get it. I like you. I want you. I love you. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian now, but I can still do whatever I want to do. It's my life, it's my body, it's me. I can do what I want to do. Well, technically, yeah, you can. Go ahead, touch the hot stove if you want to. Go for it. Go ahead, jump off the bridge that everybody else is jumping off of, right? You can do that if you want to, but that's sure not wise. It's a foolish way of living and you might die. You suffer the consequences. Yes, you can have sex with whoever you want to have sex whenever you want to have sex. Never say no to any urge or desire that you have. You can live that way, but you shouldn't be mastered by anything other than God. There are consequences to that lifestyle, those choices. So yes, you can, but there's consequences. They would say things like uh, stomach for the food and food for the stomach, which if they had social media back in the day, it would be an ancient meme, okay? It'd be like Chris Farley's picture with words, stomach for the food, food for the stomach. What it literally meant, all it meant was this, like food is a biological urge to a body, right? You get hungry, what do you do? You feed your body. They were saying sex is literally just a biological urge need from the body. So how can it be wrong to feed the biological need of your body? <laughs> so imagine your kid pulling this one on you, dads. All right. Hey, dad, can we talk about this whole sex before marriage thing? This rule about my girlfriend can't be in my room? Sure, kid, let's go. What, what do you need to talk about? Well, dad, I've been noticing that, you know, anytime like, you get a hankering for some cereal, even when it's not morning, it could be like 2 a.m. in the morning, Dad. You go to the kitchen and get Fruity Pebbles. Well, yes, yeah, son, that's God's fruit right there. That's the greatest cereal in the universe. Of course I do. You know, Dad, whenever you want to grill out, guess what? Even when I don't want to grill out, even when I'm not in the mood for burgers, you go get burgers and put them on the grill. Okay, yeah, what's your point here, kid? 
Well, Dad, it seems like whenever you get hungry, when your stomach gets hungry, you just feed it. Why can't I, whenever I have a biological urge like sex, why can't I just feed it, Dad? Why do you get to do it, but I don't? (laughs) Middle schoolers, high schoolers in this room and watching online, I dare you. Try that one at home. <laughs> Kidding. Please don't. Don't do that. Don't tell your mom and dad, well, Mark said. No, don't do that. It's a bad idea. It's going to go south really quickly, I promise you. But that's exactly what the Corinthian Christians were saying. And that's exactly what a lot of Christians today say. And if you don't believe that there is a God, if there is no God, then it, it might make sense. If you're just an evolved animal, then it simply is a biological urge. It has nothing to do with emotion, love, connection, relationship, it's just an urge, so feed it. But there is a God, and you've pledged your allegiance to him. So you shouldn't be mastered by anything. You should be obedient to your new leader and Lord. They were struggling with this, and I bet a lot of us do. You see, they were using this subtle argument. If it's me, if my identity, if it's my body, if it's my life, then I can do what I want with it. It's my body. Have you heard that? Nothing new under the sun. If it's my body, I can do whatever I want to do with it. They had the bumper stickers on their chariots back then, I'm sure. It was a cultural thing. Everyone said it. If two two consenting adults want to get naked and have sex, they can do it. It ain't hurting anybody, and it's not illegal. But Paul gently and lovingly reminds them in verse 13 and 14, he says this, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power... God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. He says, you're not an animal. You were created. You were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You know what he's really saying? He's saying, who, who made your body? God. Who, who lived life, who lived a perfect life in a body? Jesus, your God. Who, who died on a cross in a physical body? Who took the sin that you committed in your physical body onto his body and died for it. And who raised, who resurrected from the grave in a body. And who's going to come back in a body in the future to resurrect you and your body? Who's going to redeem your body? Let me ask you again, who, who does your body belong to? I'll give you a hint. It ain't you. You can't say it's my body, it's my body, because you didn't make the thing, you didn't redeem the thing, you're not going to resurrect the thing, it's on loan to you, so be good stewards with it. He says, I did not give you a body for sexual immorality, I gave you this body so you could honor me, love me, worship me, and obey me with it. We don't hear a lot of that in our culture, do we? They struggled with it as well. Let me give you an example. Christians, we just see sex, marriage, relationships, gender, identity. We see these things very differently. Because number one, our body is no longer our own. It's his. And now he redeemed it and bought it with a price. But then also, somehow our bodies belong to the member. Like, we're actually part of God, Jesus' body. This is where we don't get it. Like, 
Not that, so like when you have sex with a prostitute, Paul uses that illustration, when you have sex with any human being, you're uniting Jesus in that. Not that Jesus becomes sinful, but somehow, you know, God gives us the Holy Spirit. He literally resides in us somehow. Scripture says we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in us. So that oneness that he creates with us, we're somehow uniting Jesus in this. Sexual sin is different than all other sin, and immediately people, whoa, 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 sin's the same, all sin's the same. Well, yes, in the sense of it all breaks God's law equally, but not in effect and consequences. Simple illustration. Speeding is against the law in America, right? And God said, obey the laws of the land, right? I've done a lot of marriage counseling in my life. I spoke to a lot of family, spouses, kids. You know one thing I've never heard? Hey, Mark, my spouse continues to speed, and after 20 years of this, I'm done. I'm out, I'm divorcing him, I am done with his ridiculous speeding. I've never heard that. He's ripping our family apart with his speeding. Never heard that. You know what I have heard? Hey, Mark, my spouse is messaging old flames, flirting with other people. My wife is having sex with a coworker. My husband's addicted to porn. He's got a stash of Sports Illustrated swimsuit editions in his closet he won't let go of. I've never heard once a kid tell me, a student, no matter what age, I've never heard a kid tell me, hey, Mark, my dad is ripping my family apart because he's speeding. Never. But many times I've heard a kid say, Mark, why did my dad choose that other woman and leave us? Again, you say, it's, it's my body. It's not hurting anybody. I can do what I want. Yeah, you can. But sex is cataclysmic. It hurts people. It affects everyone around you, even you. Whether you fully understand this, whether we fully understand this or not, God says that when you unite your body, when you have sex with another human being, the two become one. Not when you get married, but when you have sex. And as Christians, we should obey our new leader. We've pledged allegiance to him. We said we trusted you. Why are we not trusting him now? If you embrace your old lifestyle, then you are abandoning your new leader. So that means this. And Paul, again, he understood that his crowd, that they were struggling with this. This was tough for them. So in love, he was communicating to them. All the singles in the room, then and now. That means you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You were redeemed. He loves you. That means no sex before marriage. Some of you are already over the line, crazy, out of control, maybe even living together, having sex. You say, you know, kind of pretending like you're married. Some of you would say, Mark, we're married in the heart. No, you're not. I'd say, knock it off. You're not. You're playing games with God. He loves you, but he doesn't condone it. He's on board with this. And you say, well, what about, no, 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 no. There's no inner course. There's no outer course, upper course, downward course, lower course. There's no course. You are course free. There's nothing. Don't say, where's the line? High schoolers, middle schoolers, don't ask, where's the line? How far can I go? How, how much can I cheapen this girl and this guy that I'm dating? How much can I get out of them? How much can I use them for? That's the question. Don't ask, where's the line? There is no line. You don't do any of it. Then you get married and you can do it all. Who do you trust? Who's your allegiance to? That's the question. To the culture? To yourself? 
or to your leader, God. While this is a very difficult situation, I want to be as sensitive as I can be about this. That also means, according to God, that same-sex behavior is sin. I understand that we live in America, and in America, two men, two women can get a marriage contract. They get a marriage certificate. It's legal and accepted by many. So can two heterosexual, a man and a woman, have sex before they're married, and it's acceptable. But God says both are sin. The government is not our moral law. We pledge allegiance to Jesus, to God, not to culture. Paul understood this, and so he's being very loving and patient. God understands this. He loves you, but he's very firm and clear. Hey, listen, if you have a same-sex attraction, if you, if you have a proclivity, an orientation, a temptation, whatever words you want to use to describe it, if you have a same-sex attraction, the attraction is not sinful. And I'm speaking to the Christians watching online and in the room today. Christians, you pledged your allegiance to Jesus. We placed our feelings, we placed our obedience, we placed our desires at the cross when we said yes to Jesus. So we don't act on every single one of our feelings. We're obedient to the, His Word. So that means if I act on an ungodly lust or desire, that's sinful. We don't condemn but out of love, we ask to repent and come back to Jesus. That's God's word. I don't say this to offend. I say this because God says this and he loves you. It's a difficult, under, it's a difficult situation. We don't have a lot of time to go into this one specific thing. But I want to talk to the Christians in the room. If you have a same-sex attraction and you become a Christ follower, you may still have same-sex attraction throughout your life. But you can still give that to God because your identity is no longer, that's who you were. But now your identity is in Christ and so you give him that. Maybe it's through celibacy or you, you give him obedience when you pledge your allegiance to him. Maybe over time you'll have deliverance and, and, and God will free you from and maybe even uh, replenish you with desires or attraction to the opposite sex, which is how he created us to be. The world will tell you that that's not even okay to think about and it's never going to happen. But we have Christian testimonies, people, yes, that it's possible, not through outward therapeutic approaches, but through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who changes the nature, our nature, from the inside out. Not something that I can do, it's something that God can do in me. There's a guy named Caleb Kaltenbeck. He's a minister. Now he's a minister. He was raised by his parents were in the LGBT community. He, went to, he grew up going to gay pride parades, um, and he experienced firsthand some of the hatred and bigotry and, and just meanness from Christians that call themselves Christians towards the LGBT community. He experienced that firsthand, and he surprised his family and everyone, even himself, when he became a Christian and then became a, a minister, followed Christ. He wrote a book. It's called Messy Grace. Messy Grace by Caleb Colton back. In it, he writes about the balance that he had to learn living in the world of his parents, but also being obedient to the word of God. Learning how to speak very hard truths in a very compassionate way. Learning how to expect and communicate the love and truth of God, but also being able to offer grace. In the book, he writes this, since God designed sexual intimacy for a man and a woman, I believe celibacy is the right choice for people with same-sex attraction. I'd encourage you to read it, especially if you or a friend or a family member or coworker 
struggles or you know, deals with same-sex relationships. It's a great read. Caleb Kaltenbeck, Messy Grace. I don't pretend to understand everything you might be going through, th- feeling, thoughts. I, I don't, but Jesus does. Caleb discovered that, and so can you. So yes, we say, come as you are, because that's what Jesus said. But then we also say, go and sin no more, just like Jesus did. He loves you. He's not trying to offend you. He loves you. He knows what's best. You can trust him. Listen, any Christians in here watching porn, don't raise your hand. (laughs) That would be really awkward, okay? Are you okay with condoning is that a secret sin in your life? It's an epidemic in the church. Everybody's just covering over this. I guess it's not a big deal. It's just pornography. You know that now, today, currently, porn sites get more traffic monthly than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. It's not just a teenage boy thing. It's, it's moms, it's teen girls, it's old and young, and men and women, business professionals. It's everywhere, and it's mostly legal. And everybody says it's just porn. It's not hurting anybody. Oh, really? It's not hurting anybody. You know that currently there's over 40 million victims of sex trafficking in the world today. Over 17,000 people are trafficked into the U.S. every year. You say it's not hurting anyone. You know the amount of sexual, I mean, uh, drug addiction and abuse and suicide in those in the sex industry? Do you realize the amount of mommies and daddies whose sons and daughters have been stolen from them? Do you realize that what you're watching, that girl you're watching, may be being forced to do that? It's not hurting anybody. You know how many families have been ripped apart because of porn and prostitution? How many men and women can't be normally, like, even enjoy sexual pleasure with their husband or their wife because their minds have been warped by these fantasies? How many young girls grow up in a culture where their greatest, most important qualities and assets are their bodies and curves, and we continue to listen to the music? The charts continue to be the top 10 is always glorifying sex. We're watching TV, MA, nonstop. It doesn't matter, right? It's not hurting anyone while the younger generation is being destroyed by our okay with it. We're okay with it. Sex is different. There are consequences. God isn't trying to keep you from something. He wants something for you. Why don't we trust him? You know what's happening today in our culture? The legislation to make legal prostitution, pedophilia, incest, and polygamy. <laughs> Mark, that's, you're just making, no, I'm not. Go research it. States have legislation they're trying to get passed and fighting for it today. Because if we're not bound by God's word, if we're not under any other authority, then why not? Who's to say no? Where, where, where will it ever end? Because we say it's about my choice, Mark. It's about my choice. It's my identity. It's who I am. And God says, no, it's not. You pledged your allegiance. You said you trusted me then. Why don't you trust me now? Paul says, really, there's only one way to fight sexual immorality and sin, and this is our big idea today. He says, honor God by fleeing sexual immorality, sexual sin. Run, dude. Like, run. There is no bravery. There is no courage badges. There's no badges. Run. Flee. Run away. If you're, like, everybody's in your house and they leave and it's just the two of you left in the house, what do you do? Run. Run. Quickly. If he takes you out to dinner and he had a great evening and says, hey, can I come in? Run. Run quickly. 
When that email comes in your inbox, run, burn your computer if you have to, run, flee. When that person messages you, get rid of your social media, whatever it takes, run. Don't encourage it, middle schoolers, high schoolers, young adults, I don't care who you are if you're 80 years old, don't entice it, don't get near it, don't ask the question how close is close, what's the line, run. How much can I trust you, God? How much can I lift this other person up? How much can I adore you and, and, and protect you? What about that? Instead of how much can I get from this? Run. Set up boundaries and filters in your life and in your home, on your computers. Accountability partners, don't hide from it. Don't, don't pretend that it's not happening in your life. Confess it. Bring it to the light and then repent and say no more. Run from it. Run to Jesus because he loves you. Don't run from him. That's what you were. You were slaves to sin. You were slaves to your temptation. You were slaves to culture. But now you've, re you've repented of your sin. You've met Jesus. You confessed and have been baptized. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. You are justified. You are sanctified. You are holy. You're a new creation. So live like it. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage, and it's great. I hope you come. More and more research continues to prove the same thing God's been saying for a long time. The couples who are highly religious, according to culture, are, most sex are the ones that are most sexually uh, satisfied and relationally satisfied. Listen, he is not trying to keep you from something. He is preserving. He wants something for you, a holy and eternal life that's great, to not have to deal with the consequences of all this sin. He loves you. He knows what's best for you, more so than yourself, more than your, your family, your friend, your boyfriend, your, your, the culture, the law. The question is, do you trust him? Run to Jesus and give him your temptations and your struggles and your proclivities. Run to him and then give him your life and your trust. Let's pray. God. There are some of us in this room and watching online that, God, we've just, we're continuing to struggle. We're continuing to sin. Even though we've claimed, we've we pledged allegiance to you, we're continuing to sin the same old thing. And so, God, we're bringing it to you once again, asking for forgiveness and saying that we're sorry. God, I'm thanking you for your grace because you continue to forgive me. Your grace is amazing. And so we're asking once again to forgive us. But then also, God, I'm asking you to embolden us to run, the courage to run away from sexual immorality. We are covered in it in this culture, but God, we will run from it. We will not embrace it. We will not encourage it. We will run from it. God, give us wisdom to see the ways out in these situations, God, and we find ourselves in. God, I pray that our number one desire is to honor you, to honor you with everything that we've, begin, we've been given, which includes my body, our body, to honor you above all else. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.